Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 17. We're going through this book of the Bible, and we're in chapter 17. Uh, the membership class is today, and I'm going to do it right after, the, right after the service. If you want to join our church, you can do it through the class, or if you just want to find out more about our church, you're welcome to come. Even if you're not signed up, you can come, and uh, we'll lure you with some pizza. How's that, right? So 1215, room 154 on the Seven Hills side, you're welcome to come. Well, let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 17, and we're going to uh, read this whole chapter together, the entire chapter. Can you read an entire chapter? I think we can do this, and I just want to make, kind of make the setting again. So there'll be, I think, the next event that'll happen in uh, the end times history will be the rapture of the church, and uh, we'll meet the Lord, those who know Christ in the air, and then there'll come uh, a, a time of great tribulation, starting kind of really the Antichrist when he comes will be kind of a time of peace and, and then a time of great, great, great difficulty. We're in chapter 17 getting near the end of the time of the great tribulation. And I'll mention some of the characters we're going to see in chapter 17. The beast is the Antichrist, a, a powerful kind of charismatic political leader. Uh, he'll start in a time of peace and great uh, talent and ability, but eventually uh, stand against God and usher in even more terrible events. And then we'll see Babylon the Great here this week and then next week. And Babylon represents the false religion, which is led by a false prophet, and also represents the immorality that will characterize the end times. And obviously, even a part of our own times, but certainly in the end times, we'll see that characteristic. So let's read Revelation chapter 17. I'm going to begin with verse 1. Just follow along as we go through this chapter. The Bible says, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the judgment of the notorious prostitute who is seated on many waters. The kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her, and those who live on the earth became drunk on the wine of her sexual immorality. And then he carried me away in the spirit to a wilderness. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls. She had a golden cup in her hand filled with everything detestable and with the impurities of her prostitution. On her forehead was written a name, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the detestable things of the earth. Then I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses to Jesus. And when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, why are, you so, why, are you, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up from the abyss and go to destruction. Those who live on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast that was and is not and is to come. This, this calls for a mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain for only a little while. The beast that was and is not is itself an eighth king, but it belongs to the seven and is going to destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they will receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will conquer them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings. 
those with him are called, chosen, and faithful. He also said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute was seated are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The ten horns you saw and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked, devour her flesh, and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his plan by having one purpose and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman you saw is the great city that has royal power over the kings of the earth. Well, I want you to see this kind of amazing chapter, this astonishing chapter, to use the uh, analogy of John, uh, tells us about all the events that will transpire. But really, in many ways, verse 14 is the kind of key critical verse, and it tells us the Lamb will conquer. That's the spoiler alert for the book of Revelation. The Lord will win the victory. And we see and have seen a great deal of judgment and adversity and tribulation. But we see the lamb will win in the end. And we see in this fallen world brokenness and tribulation and pain and sorrow and suffering. But the lamb will win in the end. And so I want you, I want you to note with me three principles. If you're a note taker, I encourage you to write these three things down as we talk about the victory that can be ours through the Lord Jesus. Number one, would you note the lamb gives victory over immorality. The lamb gives victory over immorality. Now, when I talk about the lamb, I'm talking, of course, about the Lord Jesus. He's described in the book of Revelation many times as the lamb, or sometimes the lamb who was slain. And we're reminded that Jesus died for us, was sacrificed for us as a lamb, and through that death, through Christ's sacrifice for us, we can have victory, and we can have victory even over immorality. So let's go back to the text in verse 1 where the Bible tells us about seven angels with the seven bowls of judgment that we saw last week. And here's what one of the angels says. Come, I will show you the judgment of the notorious prostitute who is seated on many waters. The kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her, and those who live in the earth became drunk on the wine of her sexual immorality. Now, the Bible talk is talking here about immorality in general, and specifically sexual immorality. And the Bible tells us about the danger of it, we see this Babylon the Great that represents immorality and became the sort of byword for sexual immorality. And in the end times, we'll see great, great immorality, sexual immorality. And by the way, it's not just the end times, is it? Not just the end times, is it? And we see something of that in our own culture, in our own generation, our own day. So let's note a, a few things here. Let's note first the danger of immorality. Verse 2 tells us it's going to be widespread. The kings of the earth, those who live in the earth, became drunk on the wine of her sexual immorality. Widespread. Much like today, only worse. So the world says, listen, there's no, there's no danger. to. There's no, there's no such thing as sexual immorality. And if there is, it's no, it's no big deal. I mean, it doesn't really matter. After all, the world says there are no consequences to our choices except that there are. It doesn't really matter, the world says, what we do, except that it does. And the Bible warns us of this danger. We live in a generation that says, whatever you feel like doing, whatever you want to do, whatever tendency you have, just entertain that tendency. It doesn't matter because there are no consequences. There are, there are no dangers. And the Bible says there's great danger and that God has a different plan. And the world's way says, whatever you want, God says that 
sex is created by him for a husband and wife within the confines of marriage. It's clear, but it's controversial in our day because our generation says, whatever you feel, whatever you want, there are no consequences. Go every direction you want. And the Bible is warning us. God tells us these things, not because he wants to make our life bad, but because God cares about us so much, he warns us of the danger. Can I just tell you, you're inundated with a world that has looked at at, uh, morality very differently than, than God does. You're living in a culture that sees sex very differently than God does. And the Lord warns us of his better plan, of his greater purposes, Let's face it, one of the reasons we struggle so much as a culture with sexual immorality just comes down to the issue of lust and even pornography. And so if I could just be kind of pointed for a minute, I just want to warn you about this danger and just say a few words to you men and women, but certainly you men will uh, want to heed this warning, listen to this warning. My grandparents, to get pornography, would have had to travel into St. Louis and find some place in the city perhaps where they could have found uh, pornography but man that's not a problem today is it i mean if you want it's right it's right there and you can hold it in your hand it's so the accessibility is so easy and someone said about lust and pornography in general it's every man's battle many women too but every man's battle and you men know something of that battle can i just tell you men it's a battle worth fighting It's a battle worth fighting. Because if you don't fight it, if you lose that battle, we have the great dangers that come with that. We stop looking at other people as those created in the image of God and see them as objects. We lose the joy of intimacy with our own spouse. And there's there's such danger that comes with going the world's way instead of God's way. God's got a better way for you. And if you're struggling with this and battling with this, and really every man, it's every man's battle, you're not alone. And it's a battle worth fighting. And I just want to encourage you. I've noticed that guys who deal with this in a healthy way are guys who tend to get accountability. And they have some other guys in their life that they can talk to about this and hold them accountable, a D group, a life group, or some group that helps them to, to know the truth and to live out the truth. And accountability makes all the difference. And God cares about you and loves you and because of that he warns you of these dangers because he wants something better for you but pornography is constantly uh, fighting a battle against us notice the deception of immorality verse 4 says the woman's dressed notice she's dressed in purple and scarlet she's got gold and jewels and pearls she's got a golden cup in her hand and you say oh my goodness this looks great And yet, notice the cup is filled with, the Bible says, everything detestable. So it looks good on the outside. It looks great and attractive, even sort of appealing and helpful. But can I just tell you, the enemy lies to us, and sin lies to us. And it creates this illusion. And it makes it seem as though this is going to be so great. I mean, it's just, it just, we use even better, we don't say adultery, we say an affair. We, we say it's, it's, it's harmless, it won't hurt anything, it'll be beneficial, and no one will get hurt. And the enemy lies to us, and sin lies to us, and it's an illusion. It's this, it's this golden cup filled with everything detestable. And 
So it looks all right on the outside. The enemy is a tremendous marketer. I mean, he's tremendous at marketing. But the reality of the merchandise is something far worse. You've seen illusionists. Do you like, like magicians, illusionists who do things? I mean, I've always, they're fascinating to me. The guys who can do the, like the close little illusions and stuff, the little, uh, up close, you can just watch them manipulate cards, things like that. That's amazing to me. I have a friend who um, did a little trick and a little illusion with me, and um, he gave me a little a, a piece of paper, and he just crumpled it in his hand, and then he just did some things with his hand, and it just disappeared. And I was so amazed at it. I mean, it's just amazing. And then I watched him do that trick to some other people. And he watched as he took the little piece of paper, crumpled it up, you know, did some things, kind of uh, caught their attention another way and threw the little piece of paper over their shoulder and, and then uh, opened his hands and it was gone. And they were so amazed. But I knew what happened. I saw that he threw the piece of paper over the side of the shoulder and he caught their attention with his other hand. And so now when I looked at his illusion, I knew the reality. And there's this illusion that the enemy has for us. Oh, this is so awesome. You, th- no harm, no foul. Pornography will be great. It'll be a blessing to your marriage. It'll, uh, it's, this is a harmless little thing. It's just the way I am, we say, as though we have no choice in the matter. We just, it's just the way I am. And God tells us the truth because he warns us of this lie. He warns us that there's a golden cup and it's filled with everything detestable. And then notice the destiny. Um, verse 1 says, "Come." the angel says, come I will show you the judgment of the notorious prostitute. I know you just love it when I talk about judgment. <laughs> In the last several weeks, the book of Revelation has talked a lot about judgment. And you found yourself saying, more judgment please, Pastor Doug. I'd like more sermons on judgment. But can I tell you something? There will be many times along the way when you will hear me talk about God's grace and his love and his mercy. And we'll talk about really happy, positive things. But if I'm going to preach the whole counsel of God, if we're going to deal with the text of the Bible, we have to also recognize the reality of judgment. And God does this because he loves us too much not to. He loves us too much not to. And so he tells us the reality, the truth. We'll never find victory unless we recognize the danger of defeat. So long years ago, there's this pastor, kind of, kind of uh, famous pastor in Memphis, a guy named R.G. Lee, one of the ladies in the early service. When she was a little girl, she's an older, um, probably a little older than I am now, and she was, uh, when she was a little girl, she heard R.G. Lee preach when she was really young. And he got famous, and he preached this sermon. It was in, it was in Memphis, but he preached in a lot of different places, and he preached this sermon over and over called Payday Someday. And in the sermon, he talked about how there's always going to be a payday someday. It seems like, like sin's no big deal. And it seems like you can sin, you're just doing the wrong things and you still win. And it, but there's going to be a payday someday. Or it doesn't look that way maybe on the surface. It looks like it's all okay. But there's going to be a payday someday. And man, he preached it with eloquence. And of course, he preached it I don't know, several hundred times. He's a really gifted preacher. Can I say without the, elo- without the eloquence... There's going to be a payday someday. And I say this to you because God's word compels me to say this, to warn you, as God warns me, because he cares about us, because he loves us. Now, some of you say, well, wait a second. You just talked about 
uh, victory. I thought there's victory. It is. The lamb will give victory over immorality. So, I, listen, I don't doubt that there are many of you who are just getting beaten over the head on this, in this area of your life because the enemy is really good at what he does. And our culture is inundated with this subject. But you can find victory in the Lord Jesus. Now, ultimate victory, of course, in salvation, forgiveness of every sin. But you can find victory over this in this world at this time. And God wants you to find that victory. And you'll find that there is a, it's, a, it's every man's battle, but it's a battle worth fighting. And the Lord is big enough to give you victory in this area. Where you need accountability, get accountability. By the way, can I just encourage you young men to read on occasion, read the, uh, some of those first few chapters of the book of Proverbs. Really practical advice, like a father talking to a son and just warning him about the reality, the danger, and the importance of seeing life and, and morality from God's perspective instead of the world's perspective. And you can have victory through the Lamb. Get some people in your life who love you and care about you and want what's best for you. Um, the Lamb gives victory over immorality. There's a second principle I want you to know. The Lamb overcomes position and power. And one thing this passage teaches us is that the, that the Lamb is going to give victory, win victory over position and power. And we see a lot about position and power in the book of Revelation. So in this chapter alone, verses 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, it's talking about the political power of the Antichrist and all of these kings who end up giving power to him, all the political leaders of our world and our nation still, and our, our world still to come in days ahead, uh, and how the Lamb overcomes that political power. The Antichrist who becomes the ultimate political leader, his charisma, his talent, his ability, his deception, all used to give him power. And then verses 15 and 16 and 17 talk about the battle of the Antichrist over the false prophet. There's a kind of a false religion that comes during the end of time when people are going their own way, really worshiping themselves and the, the Antichrist who wants worship of himself and of the enemy himself begins this battle over the false prophet. We see position and power. So I just want to apply this in two areas. Number one, note kings will fall. Kings will fall. Now when I say that, I'm reminding you that every king mentioned in this text is going to fall. The seven kings, the eighth king, the ten kings, the, the Antichrist himself, they will all fall. Just as every king who has ever lived, every potentate, every dictator, ultimately has lost power. Alexander the Great, long ago, passed from this world. Napoleon, long ago, Mao, Stalin, long ago. Even those who are in power now, they will lose power. And when I say they will fall, I'm not just talking about losing power, though they will, but they will also bow before the Lamb. They will fall before Him. The Bible says at the end of time, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, for some, it will be too late. How much wiser for you to recognize that truth now? to bow your knee before him now and find salvation in Jesus Christ. But every king ultimately will fall. Politically, the life will fall, but they will fall before the Lamb. And notice, secondly, the power will fade. Kings will fall, but power will fade. All the things that seem so important now, all the powers of this world, position, power, finances, status, 
everything right now you say, this is what really matters, this is really what counts, it will all, it will all fall. Some of you, I, I suppose the most, um, the biggest sports story right now is probably uh, Deion Sanders, Coach Prime. I, maybe the biggest story right now is sports, for right now, I mean, you know, seasons change quickly, but He's the coach now. Some of you know his story a little bit. He was a great football player, played Major League Baseball, professional football at the same time, eight-time Pro Bowler, player, defensive player of the year, one year in the NFL, won Super Bowls, very successful, great defensive back, cornerback, just one of the best that ever played. Uh, now he's coaching uh, for the Colorado, uh, University of Colorado, the Buffaloes, coaching as their coach. Last year they won one game. And he has already doubled their win total in the first two games, including winning uh, against the team last week who had played in the national championship the year before. It's been a kind of incredible story. He's known part of what, if you know a little bit about him, you know that he's an outspoken Christian. And while I don't always agree with everything he says theologically, I will say I love that he's uh, professed faith in the Lord Jesus and, and uh, gives credit to the Lord for what God has done. In fact, he'd be the first to say, that he has not followed the Lord. Uh, he didn't really come to know the Lord or to follow the Lord until he was an adult. He lost his first marriage because he was a womanizer. In fact, that was a part of his kind of life and background. His autobiography written several years ago now, here's the title of it. Power, Money, and Sex. How Success Almost Ruined My Life. Doesn't that sound odd? You say power, money, and sex, man, that's... that's Boy, that's success. And he said how success almost ruined my life. He was saying this isn't real success. One of the reasons why he is enjoying, I think, this season of his life so much is because two of his sons play for him on this college football team, including his, the quarterback who's just had a tremendous start to the season. But the reason he has this relationship with his sons is because he has learned along the way to be faithful to their mother and to change how he has viewed women how he has viewed life, how he's viewed morality, how he's viewed power and money and sex. And I want you to know that kings will fall and power will fade. Whatever it is that you say, this, if I could just have this, if I hold on to this, this is what counts. If I could just get enough money, I just need a little bit more. Have you ever noticed that about finances? You always need just a little bit more. Have you ever noticed that? It won't matter how much, always need just a little bit more. Position, you're always going to need just a little bit more. Popularity, just a little bit more. It'll never satisfy because power will fade. Power will fade. And this passage, this chapter of the book of Revelation reminds us of that. When I was in high school, my first three years of high school, before every football game, our coach would have us listen to this, uh, to the soundtrack for the Patton movie, a movie on Patton who was a general in World War II. Every game, we listened to it over and, you know, over and over from when school got out until time for the football game. That's just his tradition. And there was some music that would play, and then Patton had a speech where he, uh, where he used a lot of profanity. In the old days, the military guys used to cuss. I think they don't do that anymore. I think that's changed now. At least maybe it's an army thing. The army guys used to cuss. I think the Air Force guys, I don't think there's any profanity used in the Air Force. That's, that's what I've heard. There's no profanity in the Air Force. But nonetheless, Patton, man, he, uh, he used a lot of profanity. And part of that speech involved, he said he was going to use the guts of the enemy to grease, 
the treads of the tanks. I, I guess that was what we used to get ourselves prepared for the football game. Well, in the course of that long album or tape, whatever it was in those days, there was this little part where the actor who played, who portrayed Patton, did this little short speech about the days of Rome. And he said, in the days of Rome, when a victorious general would come back to the city of Rome after having won conquerors in some land, he'd come back with they'd do like a parade through the, through the streets of Rome. And they'd have the slaves that they'd conquered and the, the livestock and the various jewels they had uh, acquired. And then would come the army in its glistening armor through the streets. And then at the end, the commander himself in a chariot. And the actor who played Patton would say on this tape, he would whisper something. He said there was a, there was a slave in the chariot next to the general who would whisper to the commander these words. And for some reason, I just always remembered this. He would whisper. His job was just to whisper in the background over and over. All glory is fleeting. All glory is fleeting. And we think, if I could just have enough things, it'll never be enough. If I could just be popular enough, it'll, it'll never be enough. If I could just get that position or have this power, because the world can't give you what you're searching for. The world doesn't have it to offer. It will only be found ultimately in the Lord himself. The lamb overcomes position and power. And then number three, would you note this? The lamb wins battles for his people. And let's go to verse 14. I think it's the key to the whole chapter. It's a, it's a great verse where the Bible says, these will make war, that is the kings, the antichrist, these will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will conquer them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called, chosen, and faithful. So let's note how the lamb wins battles for his people. First, he wins by his nature. He's described here as the lamb. There are two uh, images that the Bible gives us of Jesus, the lamb and the lion. Very frequently we see Jesus as the lamb. In fact, the book of Revelation over and over describes Jesus as the lamb, sometimes the, as the lamb who was slain. So we're, we see Jesus here as the lamb. That is the one who would sacrifice. That's what happened to a lamb. A lamb was sacrificed. A lion, we see in a lion the power in the lamb, we see that Jesus is Savior. In the lion, we see Jesus is Lord. When we see him as the lamb, we're reminded that Jesus wins the victory for us by his death. That Jesus gives victory to us, not by taking, but by giving his life a ransom for many. As the lamb, we see Jesus is slain on our behalf, that he takes our sins upon himself and we can be forgiven because Jesus pays the debt we owed and Jesus died in our place. We find victory through death. We find victory through sacrifice. In the lion, we're reminded of Jesus' power, that he is, as the Bible says here, Lord of lords and King of kings, and that Jesus died on the cross to sacrifice his life for our sins. But Jesus rose from the grave and by his power he overcame death and sin and hell. 
And by his nature, the lamb wins battles for his people. I said, spoiler alert, in the end, we see the victory of the Lord Jesus and how what he has done for us on our behalf, by his very nature, victory is accomplished. But notice that this battle for his people is for his people. And it describes them with three words in verse 14. Those with him are called and chosen and faithful. They're called. Before we ever called to the Lord, he called to us. Some of you are here, the Holy Spirit is calling you today. God is calling you to himself. My mother used to yell out the, open the door and yell out to us, there's time for supper. We didn't have a cell phone some, for some reason in my early years, and she would call to us. My wife will ring a bell at our house, and that means everyone's to come in from wherever we are. And the Lord calls to us, and he says, I want you to come to me. Notice the Bible says he's called, we're called and chosen. We're chosen by the Lord. This is the great beauty of salvation. I like how John Bunyan describes salvation. He described it like a gate. He said, on the one hand, we see the scripture verse that says, whosoever will may come. And so we come to the, salvation, to the gate of salvation, and we say, I will to come, and we go through the gate of salvation, find Christ the Savior, saved from our sins, and then we close that same gate behind us, and we see that Bible verse that says, chosen before the foundation of the world. So, of course, we choose the Lord. We choose to come to him, but he chose us. Revelation describes that, this to us in the end of the book, chapter 22. The Lord says, the Spirit, the Spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life as a gift. And yet we are chosen by God. And he chose us before we could ever choose him. We're called and we're chosen. And faithful, the Bible says. Faithful. Sometimes we don't feel very faithful, do we? But can I tell you, we come to the Lord by faith, not by our works. We don't have anything to offer the Lord in terms of works. We can't say, God, look, look at what I've done for you. We come by faith, trusting what Christ did for us, not what we've done for him. By faith, we're saved. We trust him and his works. And in salvation, the the Bible tells us the Lord puts faith in us and he makes us brand new. We're declared righteous and holy before him. And God gives us faith in living. He allows us to not just have the faith that gives us a home in heaven one day, but he gives us the faith that gives us victory in this day. And God wants you to have that kind of victory. The lamb who was slain provides that kind of victory. The lamb will conquer. It doesn't always feel like the faith is winning, does it? We look at our culture, it doesn't always feel like it's winning. And in the days of the great tribulation, it won't always feel that way. In fact, it will seem very much the opposite. But we get the end of the book here, and we're reminded of the victory that comes through the Lord. And we're reminded that the lamb will conquer. The lion, yes, the power of the Lord. But the lamb who would conquer by his blood, by his death, by his sacrifice, by giving rather than taking. He can give you that kind of victory as well. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? And as we pray, I want to, I want to ask us to consider praying about a couple of things. Some of you are here, and the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin and righteousness, that you're a sinner who needs a Savior. And I want to ask you today to give your life to Christ and to be saved. Would you trust him and 
Trust him alone to save you. Repent of your sin, the Bible says, and call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Place your faith in Jesus who lived for you, who died for you, who rose from the grave for you. Some of you, uh, many of you here are believers, and when I talked about the victory of life, I talked kind of directly about the, this battle that every man faces, and many women as well. And what if the Holy Spirit isn't convicting some of you to say, I, this is a battle I need to engage in more strongly. Lord, I, I, want, I, need, I need to find your victory, your strength, and I want to I seek the victory that comes from you. Maybe you'll need some accountability and some friends who will help you and some people who will know the truth about you. But there is a power to winning that victory, and the Lord is able to give you that victory. Maybe you've chased so many of the world's things, you forgot about what really counts, and that the Lord has given you this position or power possessions for something other than just your own enjoyment. God has given you these opportunities for something bigger. I wonder if today you wouldn't say, God, I want to give everything I have to you for your glory, for your honor. And Lord, I remember that you win battle for your people because of who you are and that you call me and choose me and you even make me faithful, declare me faithful. Lord, I want to live a life that's faithful to you, not just in heaven one day, but in this day here and now. And Father, I want to thank you for the power of this chapter. What an amazing chapter that will unfold in the days to come. And you give this to us to warn us about this day so that we live a life that will make a difference in this day. Help us to live this day with eternity in mind. And I thank you, Father, for the promise you give us of victory in Jesus Christ and the hope that provides us. And we give you the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.